We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Bills make me wanna. McCoy out of the eyes, slicing his way into the end zone. Touchdown, Bills. It's back to McCoy. LaShawn McCoy down inside the 25. And there it is for LaShawn McCoy. As he goes over 10,000 career yards. Three of five on third downs today for Buffalo. Taylor looking for McCoy. Touchdown, Bills. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Bell Report podcast. I am your host, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was Beth Mowens. Who? Beth Mowens. Bueller from CBS Sports. Well, they ran out of uh, play-by-play announcers, and she was going to call a couple games this year. I mean, she uh, famously called the Monday night, second Monday night game to start the season with Rex Ryan, and that went And that smooth. went swimmingly. Smooth. What a time to be alive, Bills fans. What a time to be alive. Who would have thought that 16 weeks ago, as the preseason was wrapping up with a new staff, an entirely overhauled secondary, and a first-year head coach, the Buffalo Bills will be playing meaningful football at the end of December. Welcome to the Festivus edition of the Rockpile Report podcast. And here to celebrate it with us for the first time, we have a very special guest. Nate Geary. Because North Collins was, you know, barely a school. Host of Breakfast with the Bills. You're in big trouble, though, pal. I eat pieces of shit like you for breakfast. On WGR Sports Radio 550. You eat pieces of shit for breakfast? No. Big French Ladies and gentlemen in the studio with us tonight, Nate Geary. How are you doing, Nate? I'm a newly. I'm a new owner of the first win of uh, Seagram's Bet 2017. So I am feeling good. I'm feeling light. I'm feeling like I got the monkey off my back. I feel like Steve Young after he won the first Super Bowl. That's how I'm feeling right now, <laughs> folks. 
Nate Geary won his very first Seagram's bet. I mean, he took a beating over that uh, the Cleveland Browns bet. I mean, he had people calling mm. WGR, sure. arguing with him, sure. and then when he, he when he trumped their point, they would throw in it's his face Brown. that he picked the Browns Brown. on some random podcast they've never listened to. I can't wait for the <laughs> fact because I know you hate Denison so much. Uh, Denison gets fired at the end of the season. Browns fire Hugh Jackson. Hugh Jackson's our new OC. Oh my God! Okay, the, I'd be open to it. There, there's so many scenarios, so many things that could change between now and then. But let's live in the moment for a second. We should. The first time since 2004 that the Bills have like meaningful football games to play and are still in the hunt come Week 16. Are you still talking? Are you talking about that Willie Parker game? Oh my God! It, yes, unfortunately, that was 04, right? But was it so? But they finished the 05 season with Pittsburgh too, right? Yep. So the two years in a row, they finished with Pittsburgh last game of the yep. year. Huh. Strange how that I, that's how I that's why I always get the years mixed up about the night the the 04, the 05, because I was there at the 04 game when I was younger, and it was a very traumatic experience for me as a very impressionable teenager. Like that's a you know, like that's that's a very impressionable time of my age as a Bills fan. And that was haunting. It was, I, it, I walked back to the car with my dad, and we were parked in one of the private lots behind Louis, mm-hmm. like right, right before Louis, right before like that little Galleria mm-hmm. thing over there. Mm-hmm. So we're like up there, and I'm just like, Dad, I I want to cry, but this is a moment where I'm like learning to be a man, and I'm not going to cry about the bills any longer. Yeah, well, see, I had a very opposite experience from you. Oh. I was home from break for home for Christmas break from college, and. I was working at Muddy Taco at the time on Southwestern uh, South uh, what was it South Park Avenue in Hamburg, New York. Wow, I probably we probably I probably got food from you before. So I was working mm. the drive-through window. Oh, we that definitely day. I definitely got food. The from Bills you. game ended, and I was beside myself, but I still had to go to work. So here I am manning the window, mm. and all I'm seeing, all I'm seeing, are people pulling up to the window in Steelers gear. And just yelling things. Just just yelling things mm. into the window. Go Steelers! And finally, after about two and a half hours of this, it was at this point, probably a little bit closer to about 8 o'clock at night. Guy comes through. Okay? He orders a super pack. I'll never forget it. The burritos are coming. I'm man in the window. He goes to hand me his money. And as he does it, he's not even wearing a jersey. He just yells, Go Steelers, fuck the Bills. And I took the entire super pack and kind of like a David and Goliath sling motion, swung it through the window of his car at him (laughs) and then closed the window and stormed off. I didn't take his money. I didn't care. I I went to my boss. I go, you can fire me if you want to. That happened. That's a thing. (laughs) You fuck... And instead, what and they Mighty did, Taco then gave you a raise instead. <laughs> no, instead they made me go stock the cooler for the next three hours. They were like, "You can't be here. You're clearly too much of a head." They case clearly they 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 promoted you to management. That's <laughs> that's that's what happens at Mighty Taco. Well, wow, you did what? Oh, you you've been promoted to management. You're you're going to corporate. So let's so let's all hope, guys. Listen, but, but we're here for the first time in so long. Like I've forgotten what this is like. Even the anxiety, I love it. I'm, I've got I'm, none. I'm I've cherishing. got zero anxiety. I'm cherishing this anxiety I'm that's dead growing. Inside. I'm dead inside. <laughs> there is no feeling. I, I, I'm like the Grinch. Like where, like the little bit of a heart's left, and like I want to like 
tap on it just to see if it's still there. But there is no. There's no Bill's heart left. It's just <laughs> it's a shrunken Bill's symbol. There's no red thing going through the middle. That's gone. Well, let's hope that this just week the can bare change. naked buffalo. Well, let's hope that this this week can change things for you, much like the Grinch. Folks, let's get right into it. I mean, happy Festivus to everybody. Sure. This is going to be one hell of a night. First and foremost, cheers sure. to Festivus. Woo! Cheers. And the Bills News Update. Cordy Glenn has officially been placed on the IR. And Nate officially doesn't have to drink Seagram's. <laughs> In a move, he sounds like Slingblade, folks. <laughs> In a move that feels like it should have happened forever ago, the Bills have placed offensive tackle Cordy Glenn on IR, ending his 2017 season. That was He's, me finishing a delicious Moosehead lager. He finishes the year having played six games with five starts, the entire time battling foot and ankle issues that really kind of took hold in training camp. I mean, it had been a thing since the onset of the season. I've got another Seagram's bet after you're done here. So so now, the host of the Bills and Beers podcast, Lars, has continually blown me up and tried to beat me up on social media ever oh. since the trade deadline because he's convinced that the Bills somehow screwed up by not trading Glenn away in the middle of the season. He's adamant that keeping him around rather than trading him away for a late-round draft pick was a mistake. Now, Nate and I have talked about this on previous shows and countered that with what I think is pretty simple logic. Right, Nate? You don't – I don't care what it is. Even, let's not even talk about football. In anything, if you have an asset and your asset is at the lowest point of its value, you don't sell. That's it's like true. stocks. You don't sell your stock at the lowest point of its value. Yeah, it's like Bitcoin. You wait to right. see if it rebounds and then you sell. Even if the value dips, you wait to see if it comes back because if you sell at the lowest point and it ever regains its form – you lost. Yeah. You lost in that transaction. It's the same thing. It's the same thing in this sense, except even more so, I guess it's even more so when you think about left tackle in the NFL. It's crazy because from 2013 to 2015, a, th- a three-year span, he didn't miss a game. No. 16 starts in each <clears throat> of those seasons from 2013 to 2015. So that was like a really – that's one of the reasons that they felt so comfortable re-signing him and mm-hmm. signing him to that big deal was because, well – in that year that he did get signed, he had that injury, but everyone's like, this is fine. He's, this is a guy that is one of the more reliable players, not only on our team, but in the league in terms yep. of offensive linemen. So, yeah, let's give him the money. And, and I sit here now, and I do. I, I think that Cordy Glenn's played his last down as a bill likely, um, only because if he goes into next season, I don't think they have plans to move him to right guard. I don't think you move Cordy Glenn to right guard. I'm not right guard, right tackle, I mean. Well, this I, 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 this and is you're exactly not moving Deion Dawkins. Deion Dawkins is your left tackle now. I mean, you talk about all the scenarios. Deion Dawkins made him expendable. When they traded up for the kid, I thought it was a terrible move. And when I watched him play early on in the season, I wasn't overly impressed. I mean, he came in and he had a couple impressive plays. You know, he'd come in to spell Richie Incognito for a few plays. And he'd do some things that looked good. He'd do some things that showed you he was a rookie. They tried him out at right tackle for a handful of snaps, and that didn't seem to go well. Then he came in when he was forced to and play left tackle, and it's like something clicked over the handful of a game or two. And now you look at him, he's started eight games and has finished most of them as one of the highest-rated players on the line by Pro Football Focus. He's come away from most games as, in some of them, the only positively graded offensive player. I mean, that in and of itself that he's grading out as an above-average left tackle prospect in his rookie season, who wasn't supposed to be 
a starter in that position, it really does make you question what do they do there? What do they do? They're in a tough spot because, two, the thing is, is you mentioned about his trade value being diminished. The problem is, is with this procedure, is he going to even be tradable when the you know first of the league year comes in March? And I, and I don't know that he will be. So it's sort of like because he's really, to me, a draft asset that mm-hmm. I would love to think about tinkering and moving at the draft instead of maybe uh, your other first this year mm-hmm. or next year's first-round pick if you're talking about moving up to get a quarterback. So I think he hurts you, and that's the only reason I think that he still has a chance to be here next year mm-hmm. is only because that they can't really pawn him or use him um, you know, right as the season starts during draft time when I think mm-hmm. they would have liked to use him. I, I don't think that they envisioned having to put him on IR for him to have surgery on his foot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely it's definitely a problem for the team and the organization moving forward considering um, how much money that they're on the hook for him. Mm-hmm. But more importantly is, you know, is he a guy that fits into your whole thing? And I, I don't know. He's sort of – Cordy, the big thing with his coaching staff is availability. It's a big thing they with them. They do say and that. They do put a premium on guys who are going to be around. Sale mentioned to me a few <clears throat> times while, during our pregame show – that he felt that there were, he didn't say it directly, Sean McDermott or the coaching staff Mm -hmm. or the training staff, but that they felt that he could have been doing more to to rehab. He, you know, just not, nothing specific, like not an indictment, not that Mm -hmm. they were coming out and saying that, but that they felt, you know, they want guys that are doing everything that is humanly possible to to be available and to be on the lineup. Look at the way Kelvin Benjamin's got it. At least that's what Sale said. He said he felt that, like, maybe. They didn't, as an organization, think that he was doing everything that he could. Not, not that, like I said, that it was an indictment that they said it. But. Well, no, but think about this. In the last few press conferences, McDermott has made a point in the post games of talking about Kelvin Benjamin specifically trying to mm-hmm. fight through that knee injury. You can tell it means a lot to him that this is a guy right. who's not 100%, but he's still coming out here and giving us sure. what he has. He's giving us whatever he has to give. He's got so a torn meniscus. He needs surgery at the end of the season. So you he's may playing be through something. Yeah. Now, speaking of guys who may not be available, EJ Gaines has gone down again with an injury. Mm. Death, taxes, and an untimely injury to EJ Gaines, those seem to be universal constants. Again, he goes down during Sunday's game, which is a huge blow to a team that's really trying to scrap out a wild card spot. Mm -hmm. And they need all hands on deck. I mean, just statistically, it sh- it's been proven that the Bills are a better defense with Gaines on the field, which I know, you know players get hurt so often, and you see teams that, like, look at the Patriots. They're rotating players in their secondary, yeah. and for as bad as their defense has been this season, you don't notice a ton different at face value, right? So when I look at the performance in the field statistically, it's there's a very stark contrast. In the seven games that EJ Gaines both started and finished the game healthy, the Bills averaged 308 total yards allowed on defense, 16 first downs, and 18 points against. In the seven games that he either missed or didn't finish, we gave up 25 points, 17 first downs, and 393 total yards. Now, a lot of this lends itself to the fact that when EJ Gaines is healthy, he's a great tackler. That's one of the things that when you play in a zone-based scheme, you need to be good at tackling in space because you're trying the whole goal of this you know, zone's concept is to keep the, the offense in front of you. Don't ever let them get behind you. He's good enough as a coverage cornerback to keep anyone from getting past him, and at the same time, 
he tackles very well, so there's no, not a ton of yards after the catch to his side of the field on most occasions. Him being out, I mean, that's huge. His availability, it's still, there's no news coming. I mean, have you heard anything? No, I know I haven't. Yeah, no, I've, I've heard nothing. I don't know. Is that a gamesmanship thing, or do you think he may? I mean, what did. I don't know. I mean, he left the field. It was a knee injury. I mean, he left the game and then got carted, carted off. off. So when that's, I saw him that's on the card, a, I was like, oh, that's, my God. That's not a great sign. No, but he's super important this week. And, and just in general, the other cornerback position in this defense is super important. They need a reliable player outside of, you know, Tredavious White. And, and you know, considering, and I mean, me and my roommate got into this argument yesterday about, you know, how do you, you know, what do you do with the quarterback position? Because it means so much about how they restock the roster next year. And a corner, and you talk about all these other positions that they could really use another good starting player at, and you're like, man, how can you trade the assets that you acquired this year to move up? Because you know what it's going to take to get up high enough to get the guy that would be worth doing it mm-hmm. for, you know? And so, so you get to a place where you're like, man, it's just like, I don't These guys are improving. It's just all this stuff. And then you come back to the point where, you don't want to trade your assets because you want to use them for a position like cornerback if EJ gains, because again, there's a free agent at the end of the year. And even if they were to bring him back, again, he's he's there fifty percent of the time. And that's So that's, that, that that changes the price tag that you yeah, put on a guy like sure, that. Sure, absolutely does. So they could get him at a better value, but at the same time, you're gonna to have to invest in his backup because his backup's gonna to have to be capable as well. I think this is one of the bigger storylines heading into the New England game that no one's really talking about, but they need to be. Because if EJ Gaines can't go, I mean, like I said, normally if you see a player get carted off the field, there's some talk about, hey, this is his problem. He's going for an MRI. It gets leaked somewhere. Like, oh, this is what they fear his ailment might be. Nothing. We're not getting that. We're getting radio silence. So really going to have to keep an eye on that. And then in another piece of news here that I just thought was strange, and I want to run by you for your thoughts. For anybody out there who's interested in stadium relocation news, hmm. it was announced this week that the Buffalo Bills, I mean, I get it. Our stadium isn't the most modern by any stretch of the imagination. You hear players in interviews go, you know, they talk about what modern NFL stadiums are, and they get asked about playing in Buffalo. And a lot of times, Patriots players were talking about it before the last game that we played against them, about how coming to Buffalo and playing is like a throwback game for them. because It reminds them of college. Because it's a it's a no frills kind of a stadium. Right. You get you get the game day experience and not much else. You're right. right. Whereas the modern stadium, I mean, you look at what they just this. There's a Zales in it, you know, like you can, you can get your diamonds while dead, you're at halftime. Deadspin.com <laughs> refers to the state the Mercedes Benz Dome down in Atlanta as Megatron's butthole, because it's supposed to shutter open like a camera and then close, and it has it's, it hasn't worked out that way. I mean, obviously they've had a lot of problems. That stadium also costs $1.6 billion. There's a private steakhouse. There's a public steakhouse. There's a strip mall built into the stadium. Yeah, and the Zales. We here in Buffalo can't so sustain that. So that's no. been it's kind of put it up in the air as far as what are they going to do about the stadium issue. Well, this week it was announced that the Bills are going to, on Terry Pagula's dime, renovate the luxury boxes. Now, I... I if I'm wrong, stop me. Why would you, as an owner of a football team who has any inkling to build a new football stadium at any point in the next couple of years, soak another couple hundred thousand dollars into one that's going to get bulldozed? 
Well, it was a couple million, right? He said a hundred, couple hundred million, actually. A couple million. I think I think it was a hundred twenty-six million dollar project. My God, I think don't don't quote me, quote unquote, but I think it was a hundred twenty-six million dollar project. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I read, but one hundred twenty-six million. I think he's they're probably the team is probably making good money. Mm-hmm. I would think, um, based on season ticket sales, based on revenue sharing in the NFL, like they're they're probably doing pretty well. One hundred twenty-six million compared to the couple mm-hmm. billion that you know terry pagula is worth that's like for us like that's like shelling out maybe like 500 bucks <laughs> seriously i mean it, it really is like for, for like a normal person 126 million you're like wow i hope i make that in my lifetime because i'll be super super rich terry pagula is like i you know that's a weekend in bulk well, so now this is my question, though. Do you put that money? Because I know everyone's talking about, oh, in the next couple of years, they're going to start this, they're going to start that. And there's a lot of speculation online about where the new stadium's going to go. I don't think you make this move if you're in any hurry, any hurry whatsoever to build a new stadium. I mean, think about it. That's 126 million that could go towards a new stadium. See, I feel I, I, I didn't read the. I didn't read the. Um. Specifics about it, I, I can't remember. I can't remember if it's his own money or if it's the money. Oh no, it's his money. Well, he's no, what paying. I'm saying though is, it, it's probably money that he's made. Oh, I'm sure. You but, know what I'm saying? Like through the bill, so it's not really like this is some crazy expenditure for him. I, I, I don't know. I think they need, in the meantime, listen. The, any any stadium happening is going to be 2026, 2025, mm-hmm. like. This is a stadium that needs attention now to get them through to whenever it is that they're going to decide, yes, we're building a stadium, which might not be till 2020, 2021. Well, that was going to be my point is that when you talk about what went on in Atlanta just now, because it's the most recent new build for a stadium, it ran almost $6 million over budget and it took an extra seven months to complete. That's a problem. It's a problem. And here in Buffalo, we're not going to try to build anything as fancy as what they have done in Atlanta. No, and, and there's going to be so much discussion about do you build a – because – and my dad always makes this case too when we're, we're talking about building a new stadium. It's like – but you're not going to get a bowl game here. You're not going to get something that makes no. it worthwhile to come where you're going to build the stadium and you're going to have – you know, have all of a sudden you're going to have concerts in it. You're going to have – like that's the thing is what, do you, what else are you going to use a football stadium other than 16 – Eight times a year, plus a couple of preseason games, maybe you get what a, a basketball game or. Mm-hmm. But those are those are events that don't really make money. The, well, and that's and that's very true. The one thing that does make me I don't know help me sleep at night when it comes to this entire issue is knowing that Terry Pagula, just the way he's been so far as an owner, the way he acts, the way he talks, the things that he says, and the things that he backs up, he's a, he's a spender. Sure. I don't see him coming into this project of a new stadium with a willingness to try and gouge the local taxpayers because you wouldn't have bought a football team. I don't agree with with publicly funded stadiums. No, and and so God bless Terry Pagula for not being that guy. And I guess my heart goes out to all of those cities who just got, you know, kind of screwed over by a whole group of scumbags. Yeah. Well, there's a guy. There's a guy guy that I'm sorry. To work Ooh, with Davis, who, who sorry, who my thinks, cold is catching up. Who with thinks me. that what when we come to a new stadium, we need what Atlanta has or Dallas? Yeah, we're not. 
our city's personality does not. Not only that, is not. I don't go to cities. the malls that we have. Not only that, right? <laughs> I and, avoid and not these only malls. That, like there's the like stores are closing everywhere. Nobody wants malls anymore. No. But no. But the point is too, and and to that, it's like these teams. They're so damn greedy. You know, the idea that we have to spend money for a stadium like one of those. Mm-hmm. No. We don't. We can't get corporate. We can't get. We don't have enough corporate business here. Corporate sponsorships to get those big luxury suites. Just nope. like give us what Cleveland has as a stadium, as what Pittsburgh has as a stadium. Yes. something <sighs> outdoor Field out- is actually the model that could work here in Buffalo because yes. it's it's not it's not the fanciest stadium on earth, but they've done such a nice job developing the area around it. They've got statue gardens. They've got all kinds of stuff around it, and then and they then get you tours. Give- People pay to what I paid. Like a jerk, I was hung over. My friends were at the Rivers Casino gambling. And I went back to the room because I said, well, I'm not walking this mile and a half to the casino without a drink in my hand because this sucks. I'm hung over. And as I'm walking, the guy is standing there selling tickets. Oh, yeah, $15 for a tour. It was 15 or 20 bucks. I was like, you know what? This is worth it. I'll take a walk. See, (laughs) what I'm saying is, you know, you get a new stadium, you give UB New Era Field, let Mm. let them take New Era Field over. Maybe we get a little UB football going too for that, you know, for the two for the price of one. <laughs> you you are such a homer; it's disgusting, but no, I love it. No, you know me. So speaking of being a homer, we're gonna switch gears here because we got to talk about this game. Week fifteen recap: the Buffalo Bills twenty four, Miami Dolphins sixteen. Oh, statistics of the game: Tyrod Taylor seventeen to twenty nine, fifty eight percent, two hundred and twenty four yards, forty two rushing. Two sacks, two total touchdowns, a 94.6 QBR. Jay Cutler, 28-49, 57%. 274, three sacks, three interceptions, 47.5 QBR. The Buffalo passing attack. First half, 165 yards and a touchdown. Second half, 59 yards, zero touchdowns. Buffalo. 7 of 15 on third down, good for 47%. LaShawn McCoy, 50 yards, 2.5 per tote, one touchdown, four catches, 46 yards, and another touchdown. And Sharice Wright, one interception and one fumble recovery. Huh, on the same play. (laughs) (laughs) Incredible. It was just one of the the craziest plays that I've ever seen. (laughs) Do you you get double fantasy points? You have the interception. I don't, I don't then know. you I fumble wonder. said interception, and then somehow you get it back. I don't understand. Yeah. Didn't he fumble because he ran into his own guy? Yeah, I think so. I wonder if you That's get so double points. <laughs> this, this is a question I Can need to answer. Hey, our Twitter Twitter followers out there, tweet us and let us know if you if anyone who double played, points anybody who was smart enough to play the Bills defense this past week. Let us know if you got double points for both the pick and the tur- and the fumble after he fumbled it. The guys, I got to start this off with the vibe around the stadium. Usually, the 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 season ending game at well, formerly Ralph Wilson and now New Era Field, it's kind of a somber thing. You know, most people are just there. Everyone's shit faced because the season doesn't matter. We're not actually in the hunt anymore. It's kind of a throwaway game. So usually, there's a ton of drunk people. Everyone's belligerent, and by halftime, everyone's gone home. Yeah, completely different on Sunday, and I loved every second of it. I mean, the, the weather was agreeable. I mean, just to give you guys it a It wasn't rec- frightful. It wasn't awful. Now, from a tailgating perspective, I got there before sunup, as I, as I usually do, and there was no wind. 
which was awesome. Setting up the tailgate, getting everything together. Everyone's playing drinking games. We're all hanging out. We're having a good time. Uh, my dumbass friend, I, I want to I tell this story on the air. Hopefully, James, you're listening. My friend, James Potter, literally now 0-3 against my propane-fueled Mr. Heater. This time at the expense of his new ski pants. What? <laughs> what an idiot. Oh, what a loser. Every single year like clockwork. The guy can't stay away from this thing. One year he set his jeans on fire. Like literally had his feet in front of it for so long that, the, that his jeans started to smolder. This year he just ran straight into the heater after it had been running for like an hour and a half. Brand new ski pants. Burned a hole straight through him to his jeans and melted to his leg. <laughs> like, you've been going to, you've been a fan of the Buffalo Bills, mm. Gary. You drink a bit. Couple, two, three. How many times have you burned yourself on a propane heater? Zero times. Absolutely. Zero. As has most other adults. So, guys, can we all raise our glasses and cheers to James's ignorance? Dilly dilly. <laughs> <laughs> For the first time all seasons, the away fans that got sat next to me were cool. Literally the first time it's happened all year. So, you know what? It's it's weird. So, a lot of my former college teammates that I'm friends with that are from Rochester slash Syracuse, Dolphins fans. Really? Like, I, and and all, all of us were kind of like this big group of friends. Like, four of my friends were Dolphins fans. And, like, devote, like, have grown up Dolphins fans. That's awesome. I'll it's tell terrible, you, I'll actually. T- I'll t- well, no, I'll tell you the funniest moment of the entire day from a crowd perspective came from the Dolphins fan wearing the Tannehill jersey standing next to me. Mm. After, after the second interception, the Sharice Wright pick, and then the, the subsequent fumble recovery. Now, this guy had been quiet for hours, and I'm sure he was drunk because he, he was slurring his words a little bit. Went on out of nowhere once the crowd had quieted down and just got done you know we're celebrating this awesome turnover there's a buzz in the stands and then it gets quiet and this guy just comes unglued on a like 2 minute stream of consciousness rant about the Miami Dolphins <laughs> he drunkenly tried to fight his jersey off so he could put it on inside out and wow. he's just yelling he goes the dolphins Jake, he, he cursed out Jay Cutler for a solid 45 seconds using some of the funniest phrasing I've ever heard. Like, mm. just statements I didn't even know were insults until he said them the way he did. And then at the end of it, our usher comes over to be like, dude, Everything are, right are you going to be okay? He looks at the usher. He looks down at his beer. He looks back at the usher and goes, nothing's ever going to be okay. <laughs> nothing's okay. They made the playoffs last year. Fuck them. They don't even know. They don't know what's not okay and okay. And I and I I, I moved down a row. I moved down a row to go sit next to him for a second. I just put my arm around him and I was like, "Buddy, if anybody understands where I, you I know are, your, I know your struggle. Brother. I know the kind of headspace you're in right now. Yeah, I know the I know the struggle of being missing the playoffs for one year in a row. Yeah. I, know I know the, the struggle, brother. I know the struggle of being a lunatic and watching your team fail on all cylinders. So, and also, Trey White dancing on third down, that's the loudest I've heard the stadium in a while. Mm. Oh, wild. I mean, the, the crowd got nuts. I'll tell you what, I really miss going to home games. <laughs> As you should. I miss that. I miss going to, I, I went to the one, I went to the Carolina game this year. It was the only, that was the first Bills game I've been to in two and a half years. Really? Yeah. And, well, because you're working. Right, I'm working all the time for the games. And sometimes I get to come out to the tailgate, like, this was my last you know, the last home game, but I, I woke up and I was too sick to go to the stadium and go work. So mm. I did not go. 
And usually, like, I try to go around. Like, I came, I came to see you mm-hmm. guys at a tailgate. Well, not you, Chris, because her pussy. But. <laughs> I don't have a ticket. <laughs> but uh, Drew was there. So was Eric Turner. And, uh, yeah, like, I just I, – I, I didn't get to do it for one last time. So I, I, I'm out. So we just need to – we need to win out. Need to. Get that you game. You know what, though? I wish we that I wish the division was still at grabs. I wish I wish the that I wish that the Patriots thing. would have rightfully lost on on Monday night like they should have. Oh man, we've was got it a Sunday pa- night. We've or no, a, it was Sunday afternoon. That's we, weird. We've got right, a we've tonight. got a yeah, right. I thought that game should have been so flexed. Weird. Yeah, but the thing I guess I I'm just looking at it. The crowd was amazing, and that's why I go. That's why I do. I was reminded on Sunday because there was a couple games there. The Saints game. Wow. The, uh, the Saints game that I left you in want the to third cut quarter, yeah. and I was just—I I was ready to fight everybody who was looking at me cross-eyed. There's something about being in the stadium for a game like that that just has—it just washes it away. I don't know what it is. I left that game disappointed that the season was over and that I wasn't going to get to stand there in my seat again for another, almost another year. Yeah, another nine months. Now, as far as breaking down the game. The, the, I think the biggest story of the game is just Miami's inconsistency. Last week, we hosted Travis Wingfield. Pod, he does the Locked on Dolphins podcast. He writes for the Palm Beach Post. Um, Almost. Joe Shad writes for the Palm Beach Post and uh, uses, yeah. his, uses, uses his, his gifts and uh, breakdowns okay. on Twitter. So we that's hosted why you're an tra- idiot. We hosted tra- that's why you're the producer and I'm the talent. You shut your mouth and True. push the buttons. <laughs> We hosted Travis Wingfield last week, and we talked about, for as cocky as he felt coming off that win, I told him, this is the most inconsistent team in football. And I pointed to the fact that they're a team that can come from behind and win at the Jets one week and then get shut out the very next week. And there's no middle ground. They're either a very good – they're either a competent football team or they don't even – The worst team in the league. They play like they don't belong in the NFL. So having said that, watching this, it reared its ugly head, and all I could do was laugh. The Dolphins completely abandoned the deep passing attack until the game was already so far out of hand that they didn't have a choice. They literally only had two completions on the day over 15 yards through the air. Throws through the air more than 15 yards, you had two two completions. Jay Cutler, after playing Dr. Jekyll last week, where he, he posted a QBR of over 100 for the first time all season for the Dolphins, and threw three touchdowns against the Patriots, comes into this game... He was the reason that pay, that Miami fans were feeling cocky because they're looking at it in terms of, and I mean, you played quarterback, it's streaky. You could have it's a very good streaky. game. If you're a good running back and you have two or three good games, if you have a good game, it's you're liable to have another one just as good because yeah. you're doing it based on just your physical talents. Momentum. The quarterback position, on the other hand, I feel like you can be extremely streaky when you're doing it. And that's been Jay Cutler most of his career. It's because it's a mental game. So he turned into Mr. Hyde on Sunday with a QBR of 47 and traded all three of those touchdown passes for interceptions. <laughs> America. Now, now most of that it probably has to do with his offensive line because, I mean, they, they were brutal. The, the Miami offensive line was awful. I mean, I don't know if it's the cold. I don't know if it's just playing. When's the last time you remember them coming into Buffalo? outside of Christmas Eve last year, and having a good game with their offensive line. The Ricky Williams game that, oh. that, that Kenyon Drake tweeted about. But they still lost. But the offensive line, I mean, what it, Ricky Williams had 230 yards in that game. Yeah. Something like 236 and three touchdowns. 
I mean, I think it's just further proof yeah. that they can't sustain any kind of Frickin'. momentum down there in Miami. And then on defense, they weren't much better. I mean, yeah, that suck. first half, they gave themselves up as punching bags yeah, to, to the Buffalo Bills offense. Now, for what it's worth, the Bills offense did its own Jekyll and Hyde pr- impression that just blows my mind. And this is one of the things I really want to talk to you about, Nate. In the first half, the play calling was not very imaginative, but we executed it well. Mm. Got us to probably the best offensive first half we've had all season, if not the best. In the second half, the Dolphins made adjustments to what we were doing, and we just stopped moving the ball whatsoever. I mean, it's it's about as frustrated as I've been in weeks watching football in that second half, watching us refuse to even throw a new wrinkle or two into the game plan. I mean... For fuck's sake, who do I have to kill to get a draw out of the shotgun? Or just what run is it going to take? Just run out of the shotgun. <laughs> just run with the... With, can you give me an off formation, a single back with bunch receivers on the right-hand side? Give me something. Even someone who isn't... Yes, you're right. I'm not an NFL coach. I don't know a ton. But I know that if you continue to line up with traditional formations again and again and again, teams will... They'll make adjustments, and when they do, you need to be able to move past that or else you'll see what we saw in the second half. It was incredibly frustrating. I mean, Nate, what's your take on that? What's, what is it about this team that we just – the play calling? Well, the first quarter sucked other than the opening drive. The second quarter sucked. If you remember, they came out, they had that great drive, they scored, and then they didn't get a first down mm-hmm. for two – for two and a half, two drives. Yep. They came out, then they scored again those two drives. But And then the other thing, too, that frustrates me before I get back to the, that is just they can't convert on turnovers. Like, this is a defense that's very opportunistic. They still three turnovers in that game, and they only got a field goal, I believe, off of the three turnovers. So, like, that, that's an issue for this offense, too, is they, they just can't convert even when they get good field position. The first drive all season of 80-plus yards on that first drive. Can we, can we uh, find out what Rick Dennison had to say that about that from BuffaloBills.com? Chris, I know you're really the first play was different than they'd done the first play in any of one of the start of their games. They had done some safety pressures, but not on the first play. Usually been a little later, uh, so they gave us that one. It was a little it was a little different. We we're expecting a certain coverage. We didn't get it, but uh, Tyrod was able to move along and and move on. Uh, you know, you, you script the first 15, certainly you don't do a third down. We had to convert some third downs. The guys did a great job of uh, moving the change and staying on the field. Then we were able to bounce around a little bit. You know, I, there's a couple I skipped over and I had to come back to uh, a little bit later, just based on the down and distance and the field position and, and where we were. Um, when we got inside the red zone, obviously you kicked to another menu. So um, kind of expecting them to be relatively aggressive. I mean, it was a big game for them. Uh, and our guys were pretty keyed up, and they knew what they wanted to do. Rick Dennison, BuffaloBills.com. I don't know what he said about that, about the opening drive, how the Dolphins... Scripted. 15 scripted plays. I say it every week. I've said it for the past three weeks on Twitter. Every time they open up well, and everyone's like, oh, this looks like a brand new offense. And I'm like, nope, it's the same one. They have 15 scripted plays, and then once they got the 15 scripted plays, it's like free-for-all hour, and they've got no organization. They've got no plan of attack. Thank like, you. Here, here's the thing. It, what, what frustrates me about the offense is... They have a. They come out and they've got these scripted fifteen plays, which everybody knows that when you go into a game plan, you script the first fifteen plays to go up against the looks you assume you're going to get. You get those looks 
most of the time to start a game. Mm-hmm. You go up in those 15 plays, the Bills go 12 plays on their first drive, they score a touchdown. They don't go to the last three. That's, it's The first scripted 15 plays are for your first drive. So after that happens, and you look at what you saw in that game, is they have a great first drive. The second drive and third drive, they go three and out, three and out, and they've got nothing, and they've just got nothing to do offensively. And the, one of the things that I go back to is they become very predictable offensively and how they're how – they're, you mentioned it, the personnel groupings. Yep. There's no exotic looks. They don't really motion. They don't really motion into better looks. Nope. Like they're I don't know. They're very easy to, to, to defend. When they line up in shotgun, there's a better chance that they're going to throw the football. Yep. You know that. There's a 60-something percent chance they're throwing the they football. They don't run out of that formation. It drives me crazy because last year we had so much success with it. And then, and then we know that Taylor isn't great at the three-step drop game from under center. So when they go under center, they're mostly running the football, but they've been trying to throw the football more from him, and it doesn't work. No. it doesn't. And that's, and that's where they get into the three and outs is because they're putting him under center on first down. You can play action out of it because you're getting him deep enough off the line of scrimmage, but when you're taking three-step drops from under center at Ty, with Tyrod Taylor, that's, that's part of a lot of people's gripes with him about being a franchise quarterback is he can't, he can't take three-step drops and be a precision passer or be a timing passer. He's That's proven. We know that about him. Mm. That doesn't sound like it's a part of his skill set. No, it's it, not. It, it hasn't it's not. It, and it never was. Timing is not his thing because everything that has to do with timing is precise footwork. And what we know about the West Coast offense, what Bill Walsh has always said about this offense is, I don't care what the arm of the player is. Yep. Give me a guy that's got precise footwork that can get the ball at a spot at a specific time off a specific step. And the problem is, is Taylor just has that, doesn't have that killer instinct of releasing or throwing a football, even though something's covered, he has to trust the timing. And this offense is about trusting timing. It's not about a certain player at wide receiver. It's not about Mm -hmm. having a certain type of arm at quarterback. It's not having a a running or or a pocket passing quarterback. It's about having guys who can get rid of the football on their third, on their fifth, on their seventh, on their seventh and hitch, on their five and hitch. Those are very specific landmarks in this offense based on your footwork. Mm-hmm. That's where a receiver, you're running routes with a five-step combination mm-hmm. that are going and coinciding with the timing of that five-step. So when you take a five-step and you don't release the football and everyone's like, well, everybody's covered, well, that's because you're supposed to get rid of the ball at a specific time at a specific place, and he isn't doing that. No, he, he can't, and that's been my beef with him all season. But hey... This show isn't all negative. I don't want you guys to say, hey, listen, we, yes, we, that Buffalo we, we won the game. <laughs> we won the frigging game. So I'm going to start off. We're, we're going to kind of change course a little bit here. First and foremost, huge props to LaShawn McCoy. Hits his 10,000K chase, and the rushing attack is finally showing me some evolution. Now, first and foremost, he's LaShawn McCoy became the 30th player in NFL history to get to 10,000 offensive yards. Is it 10,000 yards rushing? It's rushing. Jesus Christ. If you factor in his passing yards, the guy is a dynamo. Hall of Famer. First ballot. So now, one of the things that stuck out to me the most was when I looked at the rushing chart from the game. Now, everyone's like, oh, LaShawn McCoy, we run here, we run there. Where's our shitty offensive side of the line? You would say it's off-right tackle, Mm off-right guard, correct? 
balls. It's not. They're better. They're better running. They're actually run pretty well behind Vlad Dukas. McCoy had a day running off the right side of the line. Dukas had his way with those linebackers and the terrible in pass blocking. Pretty competent run blocker. And he, he made hay behind him. In fact, the only running back, the, the only runner to have success off left tackle on our team was Tyrod Taylor. And, I mean, I, I'm sure that's just because he surprised the defense once they were already engaged in another play. We attacked the right side of their defense and just Dukas and Mills really got things done. I was impressed. I was joking around on Twitter today. I actually took binoculars from a guy behind us. After the first couple like really good runs off right guard and right tackle, and had to go make sure that that was actually still Vlad Dukas. Like, did is it him? He's a good run blocker. Did they put in Groy? Did they it's put in so terrible pass blocker? <laughs> God awful. Regardless, that's something to keep an eye on because if that's what we need, if we're going to round out our offense, it's going to take run blocking from the right tackle, right right guard. You know, Mills hasn't really been that big of an issue either. No. His injury, he's, I thought, was going to be huge. He's been mostly it. invisible, which is good. That's absolutely good. And yeah. then the front seven. The front seven t- iced this entire game by itself. I mean, yes, the secondary made some plays, but some up-and-down performances by our linebacking core and defensive line over the course of the season, they had a hell of a game. I mean, according to Rob Quinn of BillsWire.com, 12 different players recorded a quarterback hit or assisted a tackle for a loss. 12 of those players were part of the front seven. I mean, excuse me, 10 of those players. The defensive line and linebackers combined for 29 of the team's 49 tackles. And the game plan of the Dolphins, when you re, when I rewatched the condensed version of the game and you look at it and you just try to speed through it because I couldn't, I couldn't listen to that woman call the game. So I put it on fast forward, but I'm watching. More often than not, they were targeting our linebackers on the edges. You know, you could tell they were trying to exploit... When Miami played New England last week, they moved Kenyon Drake around and tried to get him in one-on-one matchups with linebackers. Tried to get him to the edge of the defense with speed, a little bit of open space, get him the football. We took that away. We didn't give it to him. They tried. And they took 32 passing attempts within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. They played right into what into they wanted the to do with the zone. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the thing. When you're playing a zone de- but So I don't even know if it's coaching, but when you're going up against a team that you know plays a ton of zone, the one thing you don't want to do is throw shallow directly into them when they're tackling well. Well, what do we know about the Bills? We know that they're a team that can play well when they're in front. They're not a team that can play from behind. So they're a difficult team to beat when... I don't want to say when they have the lead, but they don't play well offensively. Defensively, they're they're built defensively to play with a lead. Mm-hmm. They're built to put teams in third and seven situations, third and long situations, and and give themselves an opportunity to turn the ball over. But what they're not really equipped to do, like I mentioned, is it. I don't know. It's so difficult because you want to say that this is a good a team that plays well from in front, but they really don't because you saw what the offense did when they were playing in front, but. Uh, that's the model. You got to get some turnovers, and more more than likely, you have to get a quarterback who isn't going to take a shot against your defense because you mm-hmm. have two very, 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 very good safeties. Very good safeties. Well, and that's just it. Our safety play has been outstanding, and it's really kind of allowed our front seven to just focus on what's in front of it. The defensive line kept Miami. Like I said, their offensive line was a sieve. Some of it was their underachievement. Some of it was just our guys going out there and executing. 
Cutler was under pressure the entire day with our defensive ends and linebackers. He had to recover his own fumbles on two different occasions. Otherwise, that three-turnover job could have been a five-turnover job. And in the rushing attack, the Dolphins had 100 yards in total, but only got 2.2 yards per carry up the middle. Now, this is a defense that doesn't have Marcel Darius, and yet they're still making those types of plays, and they dominated at the point of attack in the middle of the defense. I was impressed, considering how many games teams with dynamic running backs have really gotten after us in the middle of our defense. I mean, it was just it was impressive to see. God bless these guys for fighting it out, having an impressive showing going into a must-win football game. So that brings us to this week's Hero and Zero. First and foremost, the zero of the game, that's defensive tackle Adolphus Washington. You folks fell on your face. You get an F minus in my book. Adolphus, I, I, I was just starting to like you. I don't, know what the, I don't know what the fuck you're doing. In a game where a lot of things went right for us on defense, to know that Washington was solely responsible for the biggest fuck-up of the entire day, which directly led to the only touchdown Miami scored, sticks out like a sore thumb. I mean, he single-handedly provided Miami with that touchdown in a move that was, I don't know, childish? Stupid? I mean, there's a million different... Foolish, stupid, ju- yeah, there's, there's a lot of buzzwords. I, classless is one of them that I come, come up with, which isn't something that I'm, u- I'm not used to seeing that from Buffalo Bills players. I'm not. He not only got his ass chewed by McDermott on the sideline, but Kyle Williams also read him the riot act on the sideline over the play. And then spoke to reporters about it after the game. Loved it. Yeah, I know one thing. You know, we're off the field on fourth down, and to have a have a penalty there, I, I honestly I don't know what it is. But at that point in the game, we're off the field on fourth and one. They've got to kick another field goal. You know, well, that's dumb football. No matter what happened or what the penalty was, I don't care if they talk ugly about your mother. You know, handle it after the game. Right there, you walk away. You get off the field. That's a big crucial point in the game. They get the ball inside the twenty. We hold them to the field goal. That's a win for us. So, you know, right there, we have to be smarter, and we're going to have to learn from that moving forward. Kyle Williams, BuffaloBills.com, post-game interview. I mean, hopefully Kyle Williams' words get through to this kid because he's a, he has improved as this season has gone on in this scheme. And he, he, but if you think about it, where who he was drafted by, the kind of role that they envisioned for him when he was drafted versus what he's doing here, he's not a lock to remain on this roster depending on what happens in free agency sure in the not. draft. So hopefully he gets his shit together, and hopefully this is a one-time thing out of the guy. Now on the flip side of the ball, hero of the game has to be running back LaShawn McCoy. <laughs> I'm the greatest man in the world. Woo! He scored two of our touchdowns. He, I mean, he is the offense. He's the motor that makes things run. Good at football. <laughs> he is very good at the game of football. Good at football. There's nothing else. I, how much more can I say about the guy? I mean, he's been our hero of the week probably four or five times this, this year. But that's what happens when you accumulate for almost 40% of your team's entire offensive production. I mean, hopefully they right. start to bail him out. Hopefully some of these other offensive players can step up and start to carry the offense so that he can do either more or at least help pace the offense and make us, I don't know, get us somewhere in the upper 20. In the teens. In the upper 20 of offensive production in the you're NFL. Not te- You're not even striving for teens. Nope, not okay. even striving for teens. Okay. I just want average. LaShawn McCoy, congrats on the 10K. Honorable mention, Kyle Williams. Kyle. 
I had to give the game ball to McCoy. I mean, the guy played his balls off. But it would be egregious not to mention the man who has been the heart and soul of our Bills defense, the veteran leader of our locker room, and a mentor to our youngest players for the last handful of years. I mean, he's been that guy for us. His contract is up after this season, and there are no guarantees that he'll return in 2018. He has been one of the most professional, likable players to wear a Bills uniform in my lifetime. I can say that. He was an, he was an under-the-radar prospect who went in the fifth round of the draft coming out of LSU. No one expected anything from him when he came here. But he has become a physical manifestation of what I'd like to think being a Buffalo Bills player is about. And being a Bills fan. Being a player who embraces the fan base, the culture here, he's it. He once told Jim Rome when he was asked why he re-signed with Buffalo instead of testing free agency. He said, well, I'm like an old hound dog. If you scratch me behind the ears, ah, I'll stay under the porch. That's my fucking guy. <laughs> I know. I, I've been debating ever since Darius left what jersey I'm what jersey I was gonna buy. Ragland. Ka. I am absolutely buying a Kyle Williams jersey. Because that guy has been everything. He should be a coach after he's done. He, he should he should come back and coach. Oh my the, god. The, the, the way he motivates. Fame. I mean, Yar, Eddie Yarbrough said that he Kyle's would give, definitely going on the wall of fame. He would give up half of his contract if he would he would take half of his contract and give it to Kyle if he stayed. And Kyle Williams is like, kid, I've made I've made so much kid, money. Kid, I've made a hundred times the money you've kid, thought about. Half making. of your paycheck is what I spend in a weekend if I want to. But Kyle Williams has been, I mean, it's he's been everything for us. And to to see the end of that game and watch him walk off the field was bittersweet. I mean, it was a win. He's everything you want in a player and a teammate and someone that you want to represent your franchise. To know that this is the closest he'll come into it in his career to tasting the postseason. And yet has stuck with us for this long. That's a testament to everything that he is. No one knows what the future holds, but here's to you, Kyle Limbs. Cheers, boys. Kyle. 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 And so that brings up our discussion about the AFC playoff picture. Uh, playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? I'll see you in hell, Jamora. We're still here talking about playoffs. We, Nate, before you get out of here, we got to talk about it. Let's run it down from the top, Chris. Here are the guys who have clinched a playoff spot. It starts off with the Patriots. And can I say on behalf of Bills fans everywhere, fuck these guys. They are now on top of the AFC, and they're incredibly lucky, Nate. Incredibly yeah. lucky. I, I, Pieces of shit. I, Nate, was that a catch? <laughs> I believe so. I believe so. It looked like a catch to me. It looked like a pretty good catch to me. The thing, I, it's such a tough thing because it's technically the rule, but the rule's trash. So it's like, I don't know. Thank you. It's That's the like rule, I, but if, the rule's trash. If I get arrested for something and you say, oh, well, you got arrested because you broke the law. But if the law is stupid, then why am I in jail? It's, it's the same kind of concept. And therefore... I look at the Patriots, and I, I just I can't wait. I know that everyone else is cynical about this game, and you have every right to be. You're not, you're not the manic, I drink 15 beers and, I don't know, tear my shirt off, fall down the stairs yelling about the Bills. You're not that fan. I might be, and I can be at times. I can't wait to get my hands on the Patriots this weekend. I can't. Bring them on. Hmm. Right behind them is the Steelers. And, and damn it, Pittsburgh, come on! 
You you screw me over once years ago. Now when you want, you could do something nice for me, and you just can't. You can't bring yourselves to do it. They lost Antonio Brown, and then they lost their friggin' minds by not running the ball in from the goal line or like we playing for overtime. Before. They have now lost their advantage in the AFC. They have to stay perfect from here on out, or else they may actually lose their first round bye. Then you've got the Jaguars. The Jaguars have clinched a playoff berth for the first time in over almost 10 years. I think it's nine. They currently have the NFL's best point differential, the best scoring defense in the league, and they've got Doug Marone. You know, St. Doug. St. Doug has revived a franchise from the ashes and brought it back to the promised land. Gary, didn't you predict last season that the Jaguars would win the South? Honestly, I did. I, I did. I did predict it last year that 2016 they'd win the South. But more or more importantly, I made a bet with my my roommates that I used to live in right down the street. Actually, uh, I made a bet with them three years ago that the Jacksonville Jaguars would win a Super Bowl in five years. Wow! So what, what, what's the penalty? I'm, we haven't discussed it yet because oh. we just assumed we just assumed I was going to be wrong. So we were we just had like you know assumed that they were going to do something horrible to me. <laughs> but now the tables are turning a the little. Tables bit. are turning. Well, let me put. They might be the best team in the AFC. Let me let me put because of Doug Barone. Let me put this in your ear. The year that the Patriots lost, the undefeated, the almost undefeated Patriots mm-hmm. lost the Super Bowl to the Giants. I was watching the game with a bunch of friends of mine who were all New York, who were all rooting for the Patriots because they, everyone there genuinely wanted to see a perfect season. And in my, they were all Bills fans, but they wanted to see somebody get it. And in my black, just dark heart, I couldn't. No, the Patriots, I physically can't bring myself to root for them. It got to the point right. where we started talking about bets. I never bet money. I bet shame. That's what I deal in. Shame bets. Sure. Because money, I could spend $20 on a on a 12-pack of good beer, but then it's gone. Whereas knowing that I've embarrassed you for a lifetime, that's forever. That is forever, sir. It's true. So I made a bet before kickoff with my friends. Since I was the only person in the entire room who was rooting for the Giants, and they all played in a band. I said, listen, I will dress up in drag, full drag, makeup, fishnets, the whole nine, and show up to your next concert. But if the, but if the Patriots, this, this juggernaut that couldn't possibly be stopped, if they somehow lose, you and your band have to play your next show in drag. It was one of the crowning achievements of my entire life. That bet right there. So just keep that in mind when it comes time to make your bet. Is that 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 happened and that you, happened. you won the bet? I won the bet and I've got photos and video and I sometimes when I'm bored just send it to them. <laughs> wow. oh, ten years later, I still like to remind them. Remember the time you wore Remember a nightgown because you bet it? You bet on the Patriots. Never. <laughs> you never go full. You never go full Patriot. You never go full Patriot. <laughs> so those are the teams that have clinched. Then you've got your wild card contenders. The Ravens. Wild they're, card bitches. They're in. They're in. Wild card This bitches. is the most likely team to remain in the hunt. They control their own destiny and are playing two teams that are just, they're, they're like a rowboat with one oar. <laughs> You've got the Colts who, I, I don't know what their deal is. They just, they, they score, they take leads, and then they just, 
I don't know. Their defense is bad. Their offense is inconsistent. They don't have a good quarterback. They don't have a good defense. They don't have anything good about their team. I can't point to one thing and be like, man, I wish I had that. And then they've got the Bengals, who, what is what is Marvin Lewis at this point? He's gone. He's Marv. He's, He's Marv. Gone. But, but this is a man who literally has been the coach of the Bengals since before the Iraq War started. I'd like to point that out. Before there were American troops in Iraq, Marvin Lewis was the head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. He has never won a playoff game, and yet he is still there. Well, he's all reports are he's out at the end of the year. America. He's like a cockroach. You can't kill that guy. That's true. Murder. He's going to end up being the coach of the Browns. Actually, so so I, I do think that Hugh, Hugh, Hugh Jackson's going to Cincinnati, right? I, I don't know. I he's mean, going to Cincinnati. Marvin Jones is. If Marvin isn't going there, then Jeff Fisher's going to Cleveland. Oh, my God. If Jeff Fisher shows up in Cleveland, the circle of shit. Jeff Fisher's getting another the, shot. The NFL. like He's getting you, another shot. If you picture the NFL as a toilet. Jeff Fisher will officially be coming to finally settle at the bottom of the, right. where he belongs. He's the puss at the bottom. Oh, my God. Ultimately, I don't see the Ravens losing either one of these games. You know, Everyone who's like, oh, well, the Ravens might lose. No, not a chance. Their defense is too strong. They're going to be in the wild card. The Bills, the fact that we're still here, it's worth mentioning. Go us. Hopefully, we can find a way to sneak in. Now we've got these guys that are nipping at our heels. Starts with the Titans. To me, this is the weakest of all of the competitors for a wild card. Why are spot. you even mentioning them? They have a because Mike Malarkey's their coach, and if both Doug Marone and Mike Malarkey make the playoffs and we don't, I will vomit. I will vomit. Okay, who do they play next? Well, that's it. The things that are going against the Titans, they're nurse. They have a quarterback nursing an injury that's going to require surgery, and an offensive line that can't seem to get the rushing attack working. And matchups remaining with teams that are not only in the top of each conference, but still have a reason to continue to be motivated to win. Titans are out. I, I, I see the Titans we should, losing these We should not games. even be mentioning the Titans. And then the Chargers. And also to hell with those guys. We need, we need the Titans to win one game, though. Their, the midseason winning streak from the Chargers came out of nowhere and was completely keyed by their defense. But that defense fell on its face against the Chiefs sure, but this it, last week. They also lost the their best. They la- they lost their best interior linebacker in Denzel Perryman, mm. who is probably done for the year. So now you've got a run defense that wasn't great before. That's going to get worse. You have a team that the defense has been the thing that has kept them in, not the offense. But it's going to take the offense to win these next two games. They're going up against Oakland and New Jersey teams that hey. New Jersey, the New York Jets. Hey, you're right. New Jersey. The way the New York Jets played the Saints, I was dumbfounded. Nah, when I saw that, I'm not. I'm not putting any fucking faith in the Jets. Okay, so you not the Jets. So you assume that the Chargers are going to win out, correct? Yes. All right. So then, what is your scenario here? You as a professional radio guy, gotta get a three way tie. What's the best case scenario for you here over the next two the weeks? The best case scenario is the Bills go 10-6 and six and nobody cares about any fucking tiebreakers. But that's probably not going to happen. They're probably going to have to worry about tiebreakers. So what you can't have happen is to have the Bills and the Chargers be going up in a tiebreaker because the Chargers will win because they beat the Bills if they're the same record. So what you need to happen is you need either 
those that Charger team to lose a game, which I don't think is going to happen, or you need the the Titans to lose one of the next two games, but win one, knowing that you'll have a three-way tie at nine and seven, and the winner will be the Bills because they have the tiebreaker amongst those three. That's what you need to happen. There are other scenarios that could happen, but it, to me, the Ravens are in. The Ravens aren't losing, so the Ravens are in, and I think that likely the Chargers win both their games. So you can dispel all of this by winning two games. I don't think they can beat the Patriots. And I, Miami's a, a toss-up in Miami, so it's, it's just <sighs> tough, you know, but I think if one thing you could do is you can win, beat Miami and you can get to 9-7, and seven, I think there's a better scenario for the Bills to likely lose and not or to win that game, go nine and seven and miss the playoffs, just based on everything else that's going around. And and honestly, you wanted almost the Titans to beat San Francisco, even though you really didn't. I didn't. I wanted San Francisco to win that game. I rooted. I was I was cheering as the kick went through the uprights, and then I saw. I was jeering. I, I saw. I the, didn't know what I was doing. Quite. I saw the article about oh well, if they had lost that game and not this, it's like oh Jesus Christ, come on, seriously, if they had won this, Jimmy game, Garoppolo is going to be a Hall of Famer. <laughs> Fucking write it down. All I write know, it down on your phone, Chris. All, <laughs> Jimmy G's a Hall of Famer. All I know is that the Bills are still alive in this playoff race, which is absurd to me because a couple weeks ago I said I wasn't going to talk about the playoffs anymore. Well, and yet here, we, here are. we are. Yeah, folks, that brings us. That brings us to our Week 16 preview. Now, you know, you you circle these two games on your calendar every single year. Generally speaking, you know, aside from a uh, an emotional standpoint, you normally don't have a lot to play for. But this week, we have a probably the most meaningful matchup we've had in a long time with them: the Buffalo Bills Bills versus the New England Patriots, Part Two. People call it the Boston accent. It's not an accent. It's a whole city of people saying most words wrong. Dante Scarnecchia is a fantastic offensive line coach. We all know that. But, I mean, he's working miracles with that kid. Ladies and gentlemen, we have in the house tonight to help us preview what is, again, the biggest matchup we've had against the Patriots in years. Christian Simonelli, how are you doing tonight? Gentlemen, I'm excellent. How are you? (laughs) <laughs> I've been better. I'm feeling a little under the weather. We're kind of losing my voice here. We're gonna, but we're gonna plow through. Yeah, we're fantastic. All and right. the first question to you is, you know that was a catch, right? <laughs> by the rule as it's written in today's NFL, it is not a catch. But by your eyeballs, that was a catch. By my eyeballs and everybody else's eyeballs on the planet, that's a catch. <laughs> it's, see, it's irritating to me that you have like a running back that can run with the ball and dive for the end zone, but as soon as he breaks the plane, it's you know it's a touchdown. But for a receiver who catches it at the goal line <clears throat> and reaches it across the plane for a touchdown, and then the ground causes the ball to be jarred loose, I don't get this rule. It needs to be eliminated. Just like uh, the Patriots need to be eliminated from the NFL. <laughs> now, this is – now, in our previous segment, I, I made note of something here, and I want to run it by you because I want to get – since you seem like a reasonable Patriots fan, I need to get your take on this. 
I understand the catch rule as it's written. You know, obviously that game against the Steelers was huge for you guys. And it was it was probably the best game of the entire day televised anywhere. I don't know why it wasn't flexed into Sunday Night Football because if more people, I mean, that could have been a game that you could put on a pedestal and say, look, my game is still pretty awesome. I mean, from start to finish, it was the most exciting game of the day. Having said that, I'm going through the you know I'm, I'm going through the numbers and I'm looking at different articles and I'm kind of just reading up on this week's action, and I stumble across this article by the Post Gazette that points out on three separate occasions now this season the Patriots have benefited from different catch slash no catch touchdown calls to end football games. I mean, first you had the catch of Brandon Cooks, okay. In the end zone, mm-hmm. two feet down, mm-hmm. balls in the end zone, and then he doesn't complete the catch, but they still rule it a touchdown. Then mm-hmm. you've got the uh, Jets game with the fumble out of the the touchdown that should have been that turned into a fumble out of the end zone, and the ASJ. Patriots get the ball back. And now there's this. Mm-hmm. And in each one of them, the rule was applied differently. <laughs> so as a Patriots mm-hmm. fan, I, I mean, you guys are kind of living on the edge. I mean, I, I, have, I don't know that I've – my takeaway from it wasn't even so much because I know a lot of people read that and probably went, oh, cheaters. See, they're all cheaters. No, instead, mm-hmm. in my head, what I thought was I don't know that I've seen a Patriots team that had that many games come down to one pivotal call at the end of a football game like this. I mean, being a fan, how does that make you feel knowing that this is the when it comes to wins and losses for you guys this season? There's been a lot more games than normal where your balls are close to the bandsaw. Yeah, um, you know, I I just think that it's just chalks up to be one of those years. They, they, they have years like that. But in particular, this year, I think it's really been focused on because, like you said, there's no consistency to the calls at all. And add to that, the defense the past three weeks has really taken a step back. After mm-hmm. what we thought they made for the previous two months, that they made leaps, that they made progress, well, kind of not. And it's a combination of, I just think that the secondary is overrated and the injuries in the front seven have really just decimated the run defense and the pass rush. Mm-hmm. So we are living on the edge. You know, you're talking about these calls and yeah, I mean, when you're a, a, a great team, you usually win the games handily. When you're a good team, eh, you need that little bit of luck too. And so far, they've had the luck of get of getting the calls going their way. Yep. Well, that that one dude uh, you guys have on your defense seems to be working out. Was it Eric Lee? Yeah. Yes, not, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Does he familiar, sound familiar to you guys, Eric Lee? Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I believe he's from. Gee, where did we get him? Um, I don't know. Uh, Let's see. You know, I was just starting to like you today. I was just starting <laughs> to like you today, Simonelli. So, guys, we're going to break Story down. The, of my life. <laughs> we're going to break down the info for the game here for you, real quick. The time of the game: one p.m. Eastern Standard. Location: Gillette Stadium in Foxborough. The best a man can get. Where literally the Bills have been atrocious when Brady doesn't play for it. When when Brady plays four quarters under center, our record is awful. In fact, I don't actually know if we have a win in those circumstances. The weather shouldn't be too much of a factor. It's supposed to be in the 40s. Shouldn't be too much weather to speak of. The spread 
is 11 and a half right now. The Patriots are 11 and a half point favorites according to oddshark.com. I'll take it. Now, Simonelli, do you agree or disagree with the uh, with the spread? Um, I disagree with the spread because I don't think that they've they've played well enough to warrant that large of a spread, even though they're at home. Um, and you guys are fighting for a playoff spot. I mean, you are the sixth seed right now, right? We are. Mm-hmm. I don't remember You're the last time seed. I was able to say that in the end of December. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you guys are fighting essentially for your playoff lives. And um, I think that's just a big number. I really do. And with the exception of uh, Gronk, really the past three weeks, well, you can't count Gronk the week before because he was suspended, but the offense just hasn't looked right at all. Well, and that's actually, it's funny you mentioned that because that's where my offensive preview for the night is going to start. I mean, literally, I don't know. You're a friggin' mind reader. So There you go. Over the course of the last few weeks, I've come to a determination about the Patriots' offense. Gronkowski is the engine that makes your offense run, not Tom Brady this season. When I'm taking Mm -hmm. a look at what it is you guys are doing, and, you know, perfect example, in in Sunday's game, you have Gronkowski go, he accounted for 135 yards in the second half. You know, the, the... the Steelers tried to take him away in the first half, and that allowed the Steelers to really hang in the game. But when you guys started to pull away, it was because you made it the Gronk show. And, I mean, you you can't cover him. There was a play where they dropped, they split Gronkowski out wide to the left like a wide receiver. And for whatever reason, nobody outside of one defensive back was put on him to cover. And as soon as I saw the formation, I'm like, oh, that's a seven-yard gain. It's a seven-yard gain because he's just going to run a post off the corner. And he just, it was like a basketball play. He just boxed out the quarterback and caught the football. Outside of it, like, then you look back at the Miami football game. There was nothing clicking for you guys on offense. It just wasn't happening. I mean, you guys went, it's the first time I've ever seen Tom Brady go an entire game without getting a third down conversion. And on the, mm-hmm. you look over the course of the last few games. So I, I just crunched the numbers for the last four of them. Three and nine, five of 12. 0 for 11 and 5 of 12, you guys essentially are 29% on third down over the course of the last four weeks. So I got to ask, what is driving that? Because some of those games, that's even with Gronkowski in the lineup. I think what's driving it is um, really that the teams that they're playing, you know, after – Really, even though even even when they played you guys, and then right after when they played Miami and Pittsburgh, um, in particular, the man coverage last week causes trouble. It it causes trouble for Brady and company. The reason this team got Brandon Cooks was to beat man coverage. We read all off season. Patriots fans read all off season how Bill Belichick. It wasn't lost on him that they were down 28 to three and that they had trouble beating man coverage against Atlanta and they needed a guy to beat man coverage. Well, they got that guy and he really hasn't done that. He's the type of guy that is pretty good speed wise, obviously, and is more of a, a, a receiver that can run down the field and under the ball. He's really not a possession type receiver. So if you don't have Gronk in there and you get a, an outside guy who's strictly just a deep threat, there's no Julian Edelman. Um, there's no second tight end. You've been sending the backs out more and more every week. They don't have the pass catchers to beat man coverage. That's the difference. 
See, now that's, and to me, that's, I, I mean, it's crazy to me when I'm looking at these numbers and I see, you know, you've got all of these running backs who, it, through the halfway part of the season, when your team really started to find, you guys got into a groove there for a while. You guys were really kind of surging, even if the games were a little bit closer than you're accustomed to. Mm-hmm. But a lot of that was the running backs. I mean, but you had this two-headed attack with Lewis. You know, you threw White in there occasionally, but it was Burkhead and Lewis who were really kind of pacing your offense. And I feel like even that teams have figured out how to, how to you know at least give at least give some coverage to the receivers <clears throat> while taking away that those running back threats. Well, didn't Burkhead get injured? And now Burkhead's hurt too. I mean, to your point yeah. about injuries, I mean, I think that these injuries. The NFL season's a war of attrition, and you guys have really, for the first time in I think a couple of years now, have really been just decimated by injuries to this point in the season. This is how our playoff hopes end. Because if Burkhead doesn't go, then Mike Gillisley is just going to destroy us. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't count on that. I haven't seen that guy in like two months. I don't know where. I don't even know if he's in the building over there. Um, <laughs> he, he doesn't even dress the games. Uh, yeah, they the injuries this year... They have 10 guys on IR. Last year they had four. <clears throat> yeah, and I mean, and you guys came into the a year lot. with a lot. You guys came into the year with a lot of injuries. Now I'm looking at this, yep. and, and maybe you can shed a little light on this, because usually we give the weekly injury report, but right now there's really no information available. So I don't know, from your sources, from what you know about the Patriots, from what you read every day, <clears throat> I'm looking over, I'm just looking at team information, and I'm looking at what you guys have going on. Kyle Van Noy. <clears throat> Kyle Van Noy hasn't, he didn't play, missed two games in a mm-hmm. row. It's up in the air. He's listed as questionable. Chris Hogan is again listed as questionable, which is I, the only thing I because he was active for a game there, wasn't he? And then he went back he on was. the shelf. And then yep. Brandon King, one of your depth cornerbacks, another guy who's questionable, and Alan Branch. You know, he sat out last game. Out of these four questionable guys, who do you think would make the biggest impact for you guys if they were able to make it back to the game? Good question. Um, right now, I would say the one guy would be Van Noy because the linebackers are just putrid. Um, they not only have, they don't only have not have backups playing, they have like backup special teams starting on this team. Trevor Riley, <clears throat> Landon Roberts. Um, these guys suck. <laughs> David Harris is 157 years old. So they really need linebackers and because you lost high, we lost high tower and now you without Van Noy. I thought Van Noy was going to go last week. Um, surprised that he didn't. Alan Branch pretty much was out and I don't think he's going to be coming back anytime soon. That's the word. And Chris Hogan was the mystery to me. I didn't understand how he played against Miami and then they benched him for the Pittsburgh game. Um, seems like they might have rushed him back, maybe. Probably, most likely, that was the case. Um, Brandon King, I guess if there's a spot where they could afford to lose somebody, the deepest part of the team is really the secondary and the running back positions. So mm-hmm. kind of not too worried about him. It's more of a special teams thing with him, I think. But you got guys like Batamosi on the back end and Jonathan Jones that could pick up the slack there. Okay, so it sounds like you guys have some bodies, in the, at least in the secondary. Now, that yeah. brings me to the defense, since we're, since we're on the subject. Now, first and foremost, <clears throat> after, immediately after the game, you know, the bulletin board material has already started flowing 
out of Foxborough for the Buffalo Bills. After the Steelers game, uh, Mike uh, – Jesus, Mike Gillisley. No, because he doesn't play, so he wouldn't have anything to say to reporters. Okay. Um, uh, Jesus, why can't I think of his name, Chris? Who? Uh, Who? Cornerback. Trey White. No, Patriots cornerback. Used to play for the Bills. I can't. Stephon Gilmore. I've already forgotten his, stu- I've already forgotten his stupid name. That's how, that, that's how irrelevant he is at this point. <laughs> He's he, – he kind of, you know – Said to a reporter, you know, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm so used to the Patriots beating us. You know, it feels real nice to be on this side of the fence for once. Well, you know what, buddy? You're used to the Patriots beating you. You're, you exactly, you didn't exactly help us in those situations. <laughs> and according to what I was looking at, he didn't exactly help you guys last night either. I mean, that touchdown, the game against the Steelers, that touchdown that he gives up, what was it, seven catches he was responsible for? Plus that touchdown where he was draped all over Martavius mm-hmm. Bryant, and he still made the catch anyway. Yep. Um, can you guys take him back? <laughs> no, he's all yours, man. We have because I think he sucks. We found I think Trey he's White paid, and I think he sucks. I would take Trey White over him right now. I don't think he's tough. I don't think he sticks his nose in there or run plays. I don't think he competes all that well. I think he's an overpaid stiff. No, and, and I take a hundred Malcolm Butlers over him before I would take him ever again to pay him that money. Um, well, I think his, I think his, I think his work ethic uh, and personality go hand in hand because when he got, <clears throat> I don't think we knew each other when he was drafted. Mm-hmm. But watching the draft, no. I think when was he drafted? Like eleven? Two thousand ten. Two thousand ten. I remember being yeah. at Hudson Grill in Atlanta, watching him get selected and watching him walk to the podium, and I'm like. This guy's not happy that he got drafted by Buffalo. I don't even care about being happy. Mm-hmm. The guy doesn't play with any enthusiasm. He doesn't play with any motor. He has, you know, everyone. He doesn't ta- look like he has enthusiasm anyway. Well, not, regardless of <clears throat> on the football field. I mean, I guess that's one of the Christian. That's mm-hmm. one of the biggest mysteries to me is that going into an off season where you've had Malcolm Butler, who has been your best cornerback for the last few years, they chose to instead go out and pay Stephon Gilmore and bring him in in free agency, and I. Maybe Billy saw, thought he saw something in the guy that he could work with, that he could bring something out in him. But if you were to ask Bills fans, when we saw that contract, we were dumbfounded. It's like, do they know mm-hmm. that this guy has alligator arms? Did, did they did, did they watch the tape when he you know when plays are run at him and he's either not where he should be, over pursues or just dives at their legs instead of taking a ball carrier head on? I'm sure you've watched it at least a dozen times this season. Oh, we saw it early on in the season, and really a whole lot hasn't. Um, it, 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 it's not as bad as it was in the beginning of the season, but he hasn't done anything to, to make me to justify, all right, he's legit, like that's the number one corner, put him on this guy, shut him down, that's it, forget it. He gets, uh, seems like he gets very confused, and he really gets caught up on crossing routes, it seems like. Like he gets, he gets totally screwed and left up and yeah, it was a mystery to a bunch of us why they didn't go ahead and, 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 and sign Malcolm to the extension. Bill puts a value on a player and he very rarely moves off that value. So this he's got a value assigned to Butler and he obviously thought that Gilmore was the better player and he went out and gave him a boatload of money. I'm sure that doesn't bode well for you guys. I'm taking a nope. look at your numbers. Now, coming into this game, you even mentioned earlier when you were saying you thought for a minute there that your defense was maybe kind of finding its way. You had some really successful games in that 
you know, you put together mm-hmm. a couple nice performances. But at mm-hmm. this point in the season, with the Bills coming to town, you guys are 23rd ranked when it comes to third down conversions. You're the 23rd best best defense. You have the seventh most penalty yards accepted against you, which is crazy because mm-hmm. Buffalo is 30th. I mean, our discipline has been real good on the back end. You guys, especially mm-hmm. Gilmore, it seems like Gilmore commits a lot of penalties for you guys. Mm-hmm. And then the third most yards per play allowed in the NFL. Now, I know that injuries have to be a factor in that. You know, obviously, you don't have Dante Hightower. You've lost your linebacking core has been decimated. You traded for a guy and then got rid of him because he wasn't the answer. In uh, what was it, Cassius? Cassius Marsh? Uh, take your pick. Coney Ely, Cassius Marsh. <laughs> yeah, there's, true. A, there's, a, there's a list this I, year. I forgot all about Coney Ely. So I guess, oh, yeah. So I guess with the Bills coming to town, you guys are the big bad Patriots. Is there any concern? And your guys end that this game is going, you know, this game may not go the 11 and a half point blowout direction that Vegas seems to think it will. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, one player, his name was Sean McCoy. Okay. This run defense is awful right now. Awful. If I was an opposite, if I was an opposing team, I would run to the outside of this defense every single play. They can't stop it, they have no defensive ends. The linebackers stink, and with the exception of Butler and McCordy, maybe Chung, there's really no good tacklers that are going to come up and, you know, make their presence felt. Well, and <clears throat> I just think that McCoy could have a field day uh, against, this, against this run defense. I really do. Well, Drew, do you think Dennison's going to do that? <laughs> you know what? If there's anything I'll give our bum of an offensive coordinator credit for, it's that when he does try to rush, he does a lot of it. A lot of the play designs that he comes up with are meant to try to get McCoy out in space. He at least understands that. Mm-hmm. For everything else that he sucks mm-hmm. at, he at least knows that you got to get this guy's the ball in his hands in space. It sounds an awful lot mm-hmm. like that's the Achilles heel of your defense. I mean, I'm just I'm, I'm looking at it here. Just looking at the stats from the last game, and the last time you guys played a premium running back, you guys played Le'Veon Bell on Sunday. Outside, off the ends, and off of tackle, I'm looking at the numbers right now. I mean, Le'Veon Bell had 38 yards off right end. You know, 33 of them came off left tackle. I mean, it, it really does kind of back up what you're saying. When they get to the edge of the defense, it's on your safeties to make those tackles because your linebackers aren't getting to them. Yep. So I guess if I've got a couple questions here that I can yep. ask for all of our listeners, so if you were to put yourself in a team, not knowing what you know about your team, we understand how we'd attack you in the passing game with your defense. When it comes to your offense, I mean, I think it it sounds pretty simple. Try to take away Gronkowski. Gronkowski is the most consistent weapon that your offense has. And obviously that's easier said mm-hmm. than done because everybody understands that. So aside from Gronkowski, who do you foresee being your team's most valuable weapon on offense come Sunday? I guess the last question I have for you, just because I really want to know whether or not this is something that's crossed any Patriots fans' mind. Over the course of the last three games, you're talking about against the Steelers, you're talking about Tom Brady seems like he just, and I mentioned it last week during our show, there's something wrong. I mean, Tom Brady isn't, he's just not getting the touchdowns that we're used to seeing out of him. I mean, he threw one touchdown against Miami. Mm-hmm. He had no touchdowns against the Buffalo Bills. I mean, that in and of itself was a shocker. And I mean, part of it's mm-hmm. probably game plan related, but 
to to hold Tom Brady to zero touchdowns and then see that there's teams that are managing to hold him to one touchdown most of the time, one to two. Mm-hmm. I mean, does that give you guys any concern as the season winds down? Yeah, it does because typically Patriot teams play their best football in the month of December, um, and 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 they they're, and they're not they're not playing well. In particular, Brady's not playing well. You know, I, I tweeted. The other night while watching the game, I was saying, this was in the third quarter, I said on a day where the Patriots needed to be perfect, uh, needed Brady to be perfect, he wasn't. You know, those came right after the interception that he threw. Mm-hmm. And I think if the defense is going to continue to play that way, he's going to need to he's going to need to play well. And, you know, they were scoring mid-30s at the beginning of the season, then they kind of like leveled off until the low 20s. Then they kind of pumped back up again and started scoring in the 30s and 40s. And really after that Dolphins game, um, you know, 23, 20, 27 last week, respectively, that's below, you know, typically where they are. And I don't know if it's Brady's hand. I don't know if it's Brady's Achilles. Um, those are the two things that have sort of been on the injury report. And when he's mm-hmm. come out, he kind of hasn't come out really, you know, uh, accurately. He's been mm-hmm. throwing balls on the ground. He's been throwing balls high. So probably a little banged up, too. But I think it's a combination of him being banged up and the defense is just playing well against him right now. They really have. Well, hopefully that continues on Sunday for our sake. I mean, you guys are already you guys have already punched your ticket pretty much to a bye week. But you guys and unfortunately this was the thing that I hated about watching you lose to Miami, is that now you guys have something to play for. My hope was that we're gonna come in against a team that probably is looking at things in terms of, eh, well, we've got our first round by locked up. doesn't really matter. Maybe we didn't get home field advantage all the way. Maybe we did. But we'd have that top seed locked up. That loss pretty much guarantees that New England can't run away with this thing. They're going to have to win in order to keep ahead of the Steelers. So, mm-hmm. I mean, with, with, that, with that taken into consideration, your prediction for the game on Sunday like I said, you didn't seem to agree with the 11.5-point spread, so what do you think? Final score, why don't you give it to me? 24-20, Patriots. Be a close game. You're still calling the Patriots win, though, huh? Yep, at home. At home. They need the two games to get uh, home field throughout, um, despite all the, all the warts that they have right now. They're going to be at home the final two weeks after playing five out of the last six on the road. Like them at home. All right, Chris, prediction. Uh, Patriots 24 to 10, 24 to 10. All right. I'm going to say, as I've said in the past games, we've gotten the W from, I'm going to, I can't root against the bills in this game. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm not. Who knows? I thought we were going to, I thought I called us a field goal winner last week. You, you picked against us. You rotten son of a bitch. And we came back and won it. (laughs) I'm going to pick against you again because I feel like that's what has to happen. Logic, I can throw it out the window. I just have to pick the opposite of whatever Chris does. In this case, I'm going to say that the Bills are going to win it on a 56-yard 50, field goal from Hauschka. It's going to be 24-21 Bills. That's the laugh. See, that's the laugh. See, you were getting depressed there. We were talking We were talking ill about the Patriots for so long, I could hear the enthusiasm coming out of your voice. That's the Simonelli <laughs> I know and love. Christian, yeah, where, can, where, you go. Christian where can we find you on Twitter? Uh, at Chris with the TIA on Twitter. And uh, you're a Patriots wonk, I'm a good follow. I'm a Patriots <laughs> wonk. And as tonight is our Festivus special, I got to ask. I mean, I know it, it is good to be king. 
in the NFL. But I don't know how you can have a yeah. grievance. There's got to be something here that really grinds your gears about your football team this year. You got to give it to me. Yeah, Bill Belichick's offseason. It sucked. <laughs> Didn't get any good players at all. That's my grievance. Folks, this is our Festivus celebration. I mean, Festivus, it's a time. It's a, it's a, there's a time of year when you get together with friends and family, and it's not Christmas, and it's not Thanksgiving, it's Festivus. And this is the Rock Power Report celebration of the Festivus occasion. The tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now, you're going to hear about it. Ladies and gentlemen, we are going to get some stuff off of our chests. Over the course of an NFL season, especially one that you don't know whether it's going to end with a playoff berth or not, fans can become depressed, disgruntled, downtrodden, and what's worse, they can let that frustration leak out into their everyday lives. I mean, maybe I'm... <laughs> Are you the only one? No. <laughs> Nobody wants no. that, especially not during the holidays. So join us here with the Rockpile Report as we crack a fresh beer and come together for this therapeutic and time-honored tradition. The 2017 Festivus airing of grievances. Nate... There's got to be something about the 2017 Buffalo Bills that has just gotten under your skin. Why don't you hit me with it? So the team itself has been a pleasant surprise, guys. They've been a pleasant surprise. They've made me feel quite good about being wrong. Mm-hmm. It's not... I don't want to make it sound like this is a grievance against the team, because it is a little bit, but it's a grievance about timing, and it's a grievance, <laughs> and it's a grievance about reaction. And it's the benching of Tyrod Taylor for Nathan Peterman. You all suck. You all suck. Everybody sucks, okay? Nobody thought the guy was going to throw five interceptions. Come on. Nobody nobody knew that was going to happen. Everybody thought it was going to be better. Everybody was supposed to be better. Well, it sucks for everybody. You like Tyrod. You hated the move. You like Peterman. You loved the move. And then after it, everybody hated everybody. The whole thing sucked. The whole thing. The whole thing. The timing of it. The... The, the explanation of it, the execution of it, it sucked. The whole thing sucked ass, okay? So that's my grievance. It's not necessarily just on the team. It's on everybody else. You all suck. It's a Festivus miracle. Oh, absolutely. Hit the nail on the head. And Nate, you're not the only one who feels that way. The int- From Redditor user Grim Tuesday, the whole Peterman debacle. The problem wasn't in starting him. No, the problem is in house before starting him. Everyone was in for it. And then after, they all rewrote history and pretended they were against it. Oh, Chris. <laughs> Chris, how do you argue with that? I mean, the, the logic of the Peterman move. You can't, because that's my <laughs> grievance, is is the, the Peterman move. And really, it's a offensive line for not playing. Because he stood in the pocket and... And tried to step up into throws, but he just kept getting hit. That was your biggest complaint about the 2017 season. That was it. The yeah, that game. game. That, that game. game. <laughs> that game should be everybody's grievance. It's incredible how many people hate this. Oh, from Redditor user Confuzzled11820. I mean, Jesus Christ. 
Rick Dennison. I mean, Jesus Christ. The man's playbook is like he wrote it up on the back of his hand and ran out of room for additional plays. You would think that a man who spent eight years as a player would have some kind of an idea how a playbook works, but apparently that's far too much to ask for our offensive coordinator. God forbid we don't check down to Mike, the quote-unquote unstoppable Tolbert for negative yardage. (laughs) God forbid we come up with some kind of playbook that actually plays to each quarterback's strengths. And God forbid we inspire any kind of confidence in McDermott so that we actually go for the fourth and one. Someone get this man out and get him out soon. Happy Festivus! Sir, you have... You have a cheers from me, personally. (laughs) Guys, this is hilarious. This is good stuff. And you know what? All this Christmas music has put me in the mood for a Christmas beer. We've gotten away from doing the beer reviews lately, but Chris turned me on to this Ellicottville Lloyd's Christmas Ale. So when you say, I turned you on to that, that means you like it. It means you literally turned me, you turned a bottle of it over to me and said, drink this. No, that's completely different. So now I'm opening it. It's a Christmas ale, so I'm not expecting a lot. Let's see what the first taste comes back in. Probably cinnamon and deliciousness. First and foremost, cinnamon has no place in beer. It has no place in beer. That's going to be... Whoa, Chris, this is This could be my grievance for 2017 that you got me to drink this swill. My God, it has notes of a porter... It's almost like someone took a porter and then shoved cinnamon into it and then threw it in your face unexpectedly. Jesus. Moving on with the grievances. From Reddit user Soda Popinski, who literally has the best name out of all of our contributors, huge throwback to Mike Tyson's punch out. Honestly, what has bothered me the most about this season has been the fans. I figured this was a six win team. So far, they have exceeded my expectations. I expected them to move on from Taylor at the end of the year. That seems pretty much what they're going to do. But there have been some seriously stupid hot takes. McDermott has quit on the season. The front office is sabotaging Tyrod Taylor. Peterman, yes. Peterman, no. It has been an ugly year. It's a Festivus miracle. (laughs) You, sir. Oh, that is hysterical. Think about, Chris, how many times people have flip-flopped on where they stood. Everyone loved Peterman the week before he came out and just cratered. People loved him coming out of the draft. (laughs) When he cratered in San Diego, we stopped hearing his name. Stopped hearing it. It didn't get thrown around on social media anymore. There was no more talk about Peterman. And then it was almost as if everyone just tried to distance themselves from the fact that they ever said it. Also, this idea he's absolutely right, Soda Popinski. The front office sabotaging Tyrod Taylor. Really? No, maybe he's just not that good. <laughs> uh, one of my favorites and one of the shortest Reddit user Why So Serious. That goddamn punt. Festivus is back! That punt was the source of so much frustration for Buffalo Bills fans everywhere. I don't even know what punt you're talking about. The punt, the decision to punt in overtime on the opponent's side of the field during a goddamn blizzard. Oh, that that <laughs> totally lost my mind because we won the game. If we had lost, then I would have known what you were talking about. Whoa. Fans lost their mind. Guys, 
I'm looking at this uh, Lloyd's Christmas Ales. I'm trying to choke it down. And it says on the side it's festively brewed with ale with fresh ginger and fig. There's fig. Oh, good. I'm drinking a fig beer. Jesus Christ. This isn't festive at all. Festivus is more festive than this goddamn beer. Oh. From friend of the show, Dr. Kyle Trimble. As an American, my failure to our great nation in losing the Rockpile Report Fantasy Football Championship to our British friend from across the pond, Alex Wormall, that is my grievance with the year 2017 and the football season. That and the Depends Diaper Company for not delivering their adult diaper samples to Drew prior to his Wise Guys Reaper Wing Challenge. Kyle, thank you for thinking of me and my butthole in, in its time of need. I appreciate the thought. I appreciate, you know, your fear that I might just uh, shit myself over hot wings. And also, you very much did lose the Rock Power. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the Rock Power Report Fantasy Football League came to a close this last week. And someone who isn't even, who wasn't born on this continent won the title. He now holds the belt. I hope you're happy, Kyle. You did this to all of us. <laughs> Just joking around. Alex, congratulations to you, brother. You deserve it. Well played. You beat me for a 12-pack and a 6-pack, and you got a 6-pack from Chris in the process. God bless you over there across the pond. Listener Eric Harris. His, his grievance is, a, is more of a quote, almost reads like a definition out of the dictionary. The process. A made-up term that can be used for good play, poor play, good coaching and bad coaching, good personnel decisions and bad personnel decisions. It's all bullshit. Just substitute the word bullshit for the word process, and it takes on more meaning and far more truth. Jesus, Eric. You, you really kind of brought... You're a Debbie Downer and a half. Good Lord. I've already told you about my uh, grievance, and it's the Charger game. Absolutely. Along with everyone else. Folks, here is my grievance for the 2017 season. If I had to pick one thing, one thing about the entire season that has ground my gears, I'm sure you know what it is. It has to be the fact that no one to this point in the season has tarred and feathered and then dragged on horseback out of town our offensive coordinator, Rick Dennison. The man is walking ambient when it comes to offensive creativity. He makes me sick. Sicker than this fig beer that I'm trying to choke down over here, thanks to Chris. That's Lloyd's Christmas Ale from Ellicottville Brewing Company. This is the best festival ever! Folks, thank you so much for joining us for not only our, our show... This is one of the, for the last home game for, for everything that you guys do all year long to support the Rockpile Report podcast. We, Thank you so much. You know, the fact that you guys take time out of your week to come listen to us, it's incredible. And I, I for one, couldn't be happier about it. And I appreciate the hell out of you guys. We have one more thing to tackle before we get out of here. Based on all the beer that we've drank throughout this episode, we're in the 290s. So that means Reed Ferguson, long snapper of the Buffalo Bills, your prediction of 280 is dead in the water. <laughs> the beer watch countdown. Yes. Yes. Reed, you're out. In the words of Kenny Powers, you're fucking out. Mike Crow, you think you're all high and mighty? You beat two hurricanes? You can't beat 
Hurricane Moosehead. <laughs> You're out, Mike. You're out. Your prediction is done. Lastly, my mother, <laughs> Donna Kruger, 288. Nope. Smoked it. Obviously, she doesn't know how much her son loves alcohol. Folks, this uh, Ellicottville Brewing Company, they, they make a lot of great beers. For the love of Christ, don't ever try this Lloyd's Christmas Ale. It literally, the, the, even I think making knowing that there was fig in it actually makes it taste worse than it did beforehand. Well, this now, is now awful. that you know that your taste, you're drinking it looking for that on your taste buds. All I'm looking for is a quality beer, and I'm not finding it. I'm not finding it anywhere, folks. We got to get out of here. Nate, yeah. thank you so much for joining us tonight. Tell the folks where they can find you on Twitter. Well, they can find me on Twitter. I'm at Nate Geary WGR. You guys also got an update. I got to tell you, I'm not in breakfast in the bills anymore. I've, I've, I've uh, moved oh, up. graduated. Oh, you got fired. I've got. Gra- <laughs> <laughs> I got fired for for being a racist. It turns out to be. Um, no, I didn't. Racist. Uh, I, I was. I yeah. graduated. I'm now on the uh, on Bills game day. Jeremy White and I. Uh, so I'm on the I'm on I'm on Fantastic. the I'm on the the middle show. I'm right before uh, the countdown to kickoff with with Howard. So I'm I'm in the middle show. I've graduated right. the middle show, uh, and uh, so you can hear me on that. That's from eight to ten uh, during your tailgate experience, which will be no longer this year. But for the next two games, eight to ten, I'll be on. Um, and then I'm on during the halftime show, of course, during the urinal visits. Uh, during home games, you can hear me playing over the loudspeaker ever so gently. That is me, not your dreams speaking. <laughs> then uh, the overtime show from 6 to 8, I will be on for the next two weeks. Saturday, I'll be on for Sports Talk Saturday. I'll be bringing in Mark Schofield from uh, Inside Mark the Pylon. But, uh, friend of but, the show. But friend, friend of the program, uh, Locked on Patriots, he'll be on with me Sunday because it's – or Saturday, I should say, because it's an important one. Uh, most importantly, go Bills. Uh, I hope they beat the Patriots, but uh, I appreciate you fellas bringing me on for this Festivus uh, celebration. Happy Festivus, sir. Happy Festivus for the rest of us. Folks, thank you so much for joining us this year for our Festivus celebration. I got to level with you. I came up with this idea one night when I was drunk on the toilet, and so far three years in, it's been one of my favorite weeks of the podcast. Just getting all this stuff off of our chest, the negativity that holds us back, and getting to interact with some of the guys who listen to our show and who just genuinely care about this football team. You're going to need to follow us on Twitter at Rockpile Report because one of our lucky contributors is going to be winning a certificate for a free pizza from Wise Guys. I mean, that, that that's the, their food is fantastic. They do a ton of charity work. We just helped them out with their Toys for Tots drive. It was a, it was a raging success. Guys, in the spirit of the holidays, from the Rockpile Report to you and your families... Happy holidays, whether it's Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Christmas, whatever it is you celebrate. Cheers, Chris, to the people. Guys, make sure you're following us at Rockpile Report at, uh, on Twitter, rockpilereport716 at gmail.com if you want to shoot us an email. At Christian with the T-I-A-N, we're going to put links to everything in the... Are you drunk? <laughs> no, I'm at just... At Chris with the T-I-A-N. I am so full of holiday spirit, Chris. I'm not drunk. I'm just filled with holiday spirit. Yeah, you just don't and know. And also an awful fig beer. Yeah, and you just don't know any of our contributors' Twitter handle off the top <laughs> of your head. Uh, that's why you're the producer, Chris, and I'm lucky to have you. Folks, we got to get out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. Let's go, Buffalo. And this has been the Rock Pal Report.
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.